Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where women of different ages come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it informs their lives. I'm Amber Barrett, and this week, Rachel Hyatt, Aaron Mills, and I will be talking from Ecclesiastes chapter 10, particularly verses 8 through 11, and what it looks like for leaders to recognize the limits of their humanity. Unfortunately, my co-host Vanessa is not with us today due to an exposure to COVID. She and her family are quarantining for the recommended period of time, and thankfully, they are all symptom-free. So, Vanessa, we're going to miss you, but on we go. And ladies, we're going to start with our segment that we entitle First Things First. And my question is, what is the first thing you would renovate in your living space if given the chance? I'm Rachel Hyatt, and I am a graphic designer here at First Presbyterian Church, and I've been here for about 10 years, so that's an exciting milestone in December. Yeah, that is. And um, I I don't own my own home, so making renovations would be a little difficult. I'm sure my landlord Mm -hmm. would not like that very much. (laughs) Depends on what they are. Well, you're you're right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would... There's a room in the back that was apparently an illegal addition that they did really poorly. And the house is only two bedroom, one bath. And if I had the opportunity, I would totally renovate that space. And it has an additional bathroom. So it would add space, add a little bit of living, maybe add another bedroom or, you know, bathroom. So that would be amazing. I would love that. So you do something with the illegal add-on. I would make it You'd legal. make it legal. I would make it legal. Make it legal. <laughs> That's great. Hi, I'm Erin Mills. I'm a mom to four young kids, nine through one, and I'm married to Brad Mills. Um, We actually are leaving our house, which has been a renovation project. My favorite spot that we've renovated in that home is our balcony because it has a great view of Green Street. You can overlook the street at night. It's really beautiful and hear other people's conversations and see (laughs) the Dorenzo's biking by every night after their supper. It's It's a little creepy, Erin. I know. It's a little creepy. Sorry. We're not. (laughs) She's the neighborhood watch. (laughs) Yes, exactly. We're not being creepy. Um, So that's probably our favorite spot that we've renovated. Close rival would be the deck. Um, Also very nice to be in the backyard and not be creepy. (laughs) What you looking at by there? I know, right? Um, so we're still in the honeymoon phase of our new home, and it just really is beautiful. It's hard to think of a thing to change. I'm sure that over the years we'll find things that we would like to make our own, but right now we're still in that sweet spot where it just feels cozy and comfortable like home. You like everything about it. That's nice about some place you're moving yeah, into. Yeah, it's pretty cool. To not have to go in thinking you're going to make renovations. Yeah, it's a big change from living in Old Town. Yeah. <laughs> We are we live in a house that was built in the 1950s, and it was very well kept up. So by the time we bought it, it didn't need structural renovations, but it needed a lot of um, superficial renovations for sure. And the things that the thing we couldn't get to that I would still love to get to would be our bathrooms because we still have pink tile mm. in the bathroom oh, in the nice. master bathroom. Nice, yes, I know we're rocking the pink tile. Mm-hmm. Boys hey, have yellow vintage. tile. It's been it's it's got to come it's back. Come around. back. No, it, it is. It back. has come back. It's back. Just own it. Yes. Okay, I'm gonna own it. <laughs> I will say that though, even if I don't renovate the bathrooms, what I want to do really badly with three teenage boys is I want to build an outdoor shower mm. slash bathroom <laughs> like if i could tell them like when they came trough? home from soccer take your stuff your shoes off walk yourself around to the back of the house go in that place yes like a trough yes take it all off shower do all that stuff and then come inside wow That's it great. would really just make my life 
Well, she'll um, outside. Smell better. It would make, <laughs> make my life smell better. Uh, you know, the great thing about that renovation question is that we can answer it without considering any limitations, right? So when necessities like money, time, skills, are ours in abundance, then dreams become easily, more easily, a reality. Most of us, however, are not free from limitations. So all three of us around the table here know that the renovations that we envision require more than we currently have to give. Otherwise, we would have done them already. So as we begin to talk about leadership today, I think it's important to keep in mind that we are living in a time when it is much too easy to criticize those in leadership while making bold statements as to what we would do differently if we were in their place. It's so easy to talk about change until you are the one truly tasked to bring it about, and only then do you know what it is to bump up against limitations that can't be pushed aside. It's important for us to remember that our leaders are human and therefore subjects to the limits of their humanity, and it's important for leaders themselves to remember it as well. In Ecclesiastes 10, verses 8 through 11, Solomon speaks proverbially of four ways leaders share the limits common to all humanity. He says this, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. These proverbs on the face of it can be a little bit hard to understand, but as you look deeper into it, you see that he's talking just about common, everyday things that happen in life. So if you're out walking in a Middle Eastern um, terrain, it's full of pits. You might fall into one. If you're around a wall, snakes lay out, they might bite you. If you are quarrying rocks, you have the potential to get hurt. If you're using iron and it's blunt, then you got to stop and you've got to sharpen it. If you're charming a snake, you need to know what you're doing. And so by saying these sorts of very basic daily things, he's making the point that leaders will experience pain in their work. Leaders will experience the hardships in life common to man. Leaders have to rest, and leaders will consistently need to grow in wisdom. Sometimes we encourage our leaders to resist their humanity in these ways, right? We don't want to think that our leaders are going to go through hardships. We don't want to think that they're going to experience pain. We don't want to think that they need to rest. And we don't want to think that they're not already wise. We want them to be superhuman because it makes us feel like we're superhuman. But in reality, we need a leader who recognizes the limits of their humanity. And we need them to recognize it as well. Because sometimes we know what it's like to be led by a leader who refuses to recognize their humanity and the cost that comes with that. So can you ladies talk to me a little bit about that? Has that, have you experienced that in your life and what has that looked like? Yeah, I think that, um, the people that have been in my life have put expectations on me. Um, I find their expectations more manageable than those of my own. Like, I feel like I'm probably the oppressive leader that's not stopping to sharpen my tools and to take rest, um, that it is more of coming from within me versus someone else putting expectations on me that I could not meet. So you're finding that the way you lead yourself, you're saying? Right. I realize that's a little bit of an abstract thought, but um, I feel like that probably would resonate with a lot of us, that mm-hmm. we are our own harshest critic, and um, we're the ones that are last to consider taking time off and stepping away from work. And I guess in that same vein, um, as I've seen myself grow and develop in that over the years, 
that I'm thankful for people that have shown me how to do that well. Like I see my husband work really hard, but he also mm. rests really well and takes mm. breaks and has mm-hmm. shown me how to do that and led me in that way. So I'm grateful for the leadership that I've experienced through him and other leaders in the faith that have led me away from my own foolishness. Yeah, mm. that's good. Um, I would say, I think the ways I've experienced leadership just refusing to acknowledge like their limits is Mm -hmm. when they refuse to acknowledge my limits. Mm -hmm. And I think that that has been really hard because I can, I'm a, I I would say I'm a hard worker and I will give my all to a task when asked and I don't want to do a bad job, but sometimes you can be pushed beyond your limitation and the leader is like, no, we've got to keep going, keep going. And then Mm -hmm. even when that task maybe might be finished, Mm -hmm. they move on to the next thing and you need that time. And I love what Aaron said um, of just being able to acknowledge like that Brad acknowledges his limitations and leads in that. That's lovely because I think we need more of that because when I see that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When I see that modeled in front of me, it then becomes easy for me to model for myself. And then I can, that trickles down and it has that trickle down effect. So I have experienced that kind of poor leadership or lack of, and in some ways it's probably just a symptom of their, what they've seen exhibited to them in leadership. Go, go, go. And we live in a society that, you know, really, um, celebrates working, 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 and we don't learn to rest well. And that's what Jesus calls us to do is rest well in him and knowing that he is completing the work and not me. Yeah. And that's really refreshing and relieving. Right. Which is such a great point. It's definitely true of our, of our society, but it would have been true in Solomon's society. Right. You know, what's re- interesting is that after Solomon dies, his son succeeds him and he has this problem with the people, and he has two sets of advisors. One of them are, the, are his father's advisors, right. and one of them are all these young advisors. And the, his father's advisors say, be easy on the people. Let them rest. You know, Give them some of these things that will show that you're gentle to them. And the younger ones are like, no, 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 you don't have time for that. Get these fellows working. Time if you show money. an ounce of weakness, that's right. They, they're not going to do what you want them to do. So he comes down hard. And that's when the kingdom is divided. So these things that Solomon's saying, he would have known, you know, in the in his time to the effects of that, just as we do in our in our culture today. And mine's somewhat similar to what y'all are saying. I think all three of us are talking about rest. I think that's the one that's that's coming out. And I know when with John and I being in ministry, when he first started working. He would say, and it's true, He work is, is the thing that can often make him feel good about himself. So he'd say, if I'm bagging groceries at a grocery store or if I'm working in ministry, I'm just going to give it my all. I want right. to do it excellently. And when you're doing something like ministry, the yeah. problem is, is that the to-do list never ends and the needs are significant. And so what we found in doing ministry together, that if we're waiting to say that rest is okay, until the needs have subsided, we'll be waiting forever. I was going to say, yeah. you'll, never, you'll never rest. No, you'll never rest. And it's hard to give yourself permission to rest in the face of needs that you would long to meet, that you would want to meet, that need to be meet, met. So we've we found, we've struggled through that with our in our marriage a little bit and been really great, glad that John has graciously grown in that and has come to a place where I no longer feel like 
he's driving me as his wife to make him feel okay about what he's doing in ministry. And that's been sweet for him to let that go. Uh, but it, it's revealed both of our hearts, really, in the mm-hmm. fact that, like you said, Rachel, sometimes if you're not willing to rest from the thing that's you know being asked of you, or if there's a need and you won't let it go unmet for a period of time, it's just shown us that I obviously think God's call for me is more than I'm actually, um, is more than he's actually calling me to do. He's asked, I think I'm being asked mm-hmm. to be the Savior, and I'm not, and and to let that go and to rest in the Lord um, is a is a step of step of faith. How have y'all found that? You're so you're saying, right, uh, Aaron, that you don't always lead yourself well and let, allowing yourself to rest. And Rachel, you've experienced that from other people. How then do y'all either find that particular thing playing into your own leadership of um, other people? Maybe talk to me about where in your life have you been called to lead. And what does it look like for you sometimes to push aside your own limitations as you're leading other people? Well, I think for myself, as far as leadership, um, I tend to be in roles where I am following. But when I do get the opportunity to be more forward facing, it can be really hard for me. I experience a lot of like insecurity in that. But I think that I, the insecurity comes from, I have to be it all. I have to do it all. I have to know it all. Mm -hmm. And that can be really paralyzing. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, there's this drive to answer all the questions. And I lead a group of sixth grade girls um, that live downtown through ULP or um, new, not Newtown. It's uh, Hope for Augusta. And so um, I've known them since they've been in third grade, but we just transitioned into sixth grade. And it has been a really weird transition for me. Um, elementary school was easy. Mm. Questions asked were easy. Mm. We did a lot of Jesus Storybook Bible, but we are entering into a whole other phase of the preteen era. And I am not a mother. I am single. This is very new to me. And so I'm really grateful for the leadership of my co-leader, Kelly, who has a lot of experience in the school system, but also with preteens and has kind of like, I'm diverting, what what should we do here? Mm. But I don't have to know everything in order to love them well. And Mm. I think just thinking about my limitations, I don't know how to walk through this stage with them. And so leaning on the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you have in this season and my weaknesses, I feel like, are exhibited in major ways, and I feel really insecure about that. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure that leadership, uh, how I think about leadership is that I have to know all the things. It makes total sense to me what you're talking about, being in a position of leadership where you're encountering things that are new that you haven't experienced yet, and you don't have the wisdom yet right. to know all of the things. And so what do you do in that situation when you find that maybe you don't have the wisdom required and yet you're still willing to lead and to love those girls. Right. I think it's just, I want to do the best that I can and I want to know all of the things and I want to give them the right advice and counsel them in the right way and know how to enter into these spaces and places with them with godly wisdom. And I think I I want to be everything that they need and what they need is Jesus mm-hmm. and what they don't need is me telling them what to do. Um, but really, um, giving them 
the space to grow and learn and fail. And the same for me, mm-hmm. like space to grow and learn and fail and mm-hmm. to step back and say, the Lord has got to work in this mind, in this heart of this young girl, just as he is working in my mind and my heart mm-hmm. to teach me. And I know I'm not a parent. Um, and so I, I'm sure that this is a similar struggle that parents experience of what am I doing? How do I do this? I don't know. Mm. So it's scary. Mm-hmm. It's the unknown. And you want to know where you're going and what you're doing. Yeah. And so, and sometimes you just can't. The mm-hmm. Lord doesn't give us all, all the answers. He yeah. asks us to trust us and trust him in blind faith. Yeah, and to take the time to learn, you yes. know, with that that proverb that Solomon says, it's, that's like a, what good is a snake charmer if he doesn't charm the snake? You know, and snake charmers have all this pomp and circumstances. They right. go through this whole thing, and they do. <laughs> that's how I envision them anyway. You know, the music right. and the costume and the whatever. <laughs> but at the end of the day, they get bit. You know, and right. I think for us, when we think we've got to go right into, you ask a question, I got to tell you the answer. You have a problem, I have to come up with a solution. There's no waiting on the Lord. There's no asking. There's no being okay to say, at this moment, I don't know, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to think with you. And if you force, if you go rush past all of that Mm -hmm. to try to slap answers on things, it it does really come back to bite you. Yeah. I know those girls are are lucky to have you leading them. Oh, well, thank you. I'm lucky to have them in my life. So, yeah, that really resonates with me. Certainly as a parent, that's where I have the sphere of most of my influences over my children. And same, same, a lot of the things that you said are very similar. And I think the way that we treat ourselves internally a lot is the way that we treat mm-hmm. others. We impose those same type of expectations on others. So I want them to do all that. When I was reviewing the text for this today, just thinking about all the ways that, and not just in Ecclesiastes 10, but throughout the scripture, how God paints a picture of foolish leaders. And I can look back and see things that I have grown in so much. I made a whole list of things that I've grown in so much and then ways that I can continue to expand into wisdom and um, not put in unrealistic expectations on my children and um, giving them time to rest and grow and uh, serving them and being faithful and steadfast, being empathetic. I think that's the picture that Solomon and throughout scripture is painted of a wise leader and so that's something that I hope to continue to grow in. Yeah. I, I resonate with that as well. I was re- listening recently to Paul Tripp's got a podcast at the Gospel Coalition yeah. uh, recently re-hosted on gospel-centered parenting. And he's so funny. If you if you haven't listened to it, mm-hmm. um, it's worth listening to, be you a parent or not a parent, because the, his presentation of the gospel is just captivating and he's hilarious at the same time so he tells this uh, funny story he's he's basically saying all you parents have come he gave this at a breakout session okay at, at um a tgc uh conference okay and he's basically saying of course you come to this and you want answers on how to parent right. but the first thing i want to tell you about parenting is that repentance has to be the foundation Oof. and so i know Oof. right so he just talks about he just he just this silly little story about how this child has a project and it's due the next day and he comes to you and you didn't know it was due and he says well i need 
I've got this project due. And you say, oh, great. Well, here it comes. What do you need? Well, I need markers and a poster board. And you think, well, that's not so bad. So you're feeling okay. <laughs> and then you go through, he goes through this list and he's hilarious. And then finally he gets to baby chickens. I need baby chickens. And, like, what? and that's when you like lose your temper and you're so upset. And you're like, I can't believe you need baby chickens. It's 12 o'clock at night. And so he goes through this whole thing and you just, you just go off on this child. Like, I can't, that's so irresponsible. And in my day, we never would have. And I absolutely would not have asked my parents. And yeah, yeah, it's this whole list. So it's basically, you're terrible. I'm not. I can't believe you inconvenienced me. And so he just goes on and says, I mean, come on, parents. How many of y'all have a carport filled with stuff that you should have gotten rid of months ago? Oh but you're God. procrastinators. Your child's a procrastinator. They have sin in your, their heart. You have sin in your heart. And so he just talks about repentance. And it really struck me because I thought, yeah, sometimes I think I just want to lead my children by teaching them what they should do, what they should think, and how they should do it. And I don't have any patience for growth. And like you said, Aaron, you know, the way we talk internally to ourselves is the way we speak externally, outwardly mm-hmm. to other people. And I think I'm, I'm in danger of leading my children outside of grace, you mm-hmm. know, teaching them to be independent, autonomous individuals mm-hmm. who don't need mm-hmm. the mercy of Jesus. They just need to do what I say. And I just think, man, that's not how I want to lead my children. Yeah. And so that's, that was really convicting to me. Yeah. Y'all, how do you, so we're speaking of the fact that we know we're all flawed as leaders. We're all flawed as people. We know that. But we have mentioned already just the way that we look to Jesus in our weakness. What is it about Jesus's leadership to you that allows you to be gentle with yourself and with other leaders in your life? Um, so I was reading where he, in Matthew, he was critiquing the oppressive rulers and how he led himself with servant uh, leadership and was humble and obviously that is the example that we want to abide by, yeah, and follow into that grace. And I think when he was talking about the slave in Ecclesiastes 10, um, it just brought up a memory of me of how we can be slaves to sin. And like you were saying, Amber, how we don't want to lead our children into that slave, being a slave of sin, of busyness mm-hmm. or performance or, you know, put in all these expectations outside of Christ is this is let me show you how to measure up is mm-hmm. what we're showing them how to yeah. do like let me show you how to do better try harder mm-hmm. and I think that is obviously the opposite of the gospel and so mm-hmm. uh, just leading them into the good news of of that Jesus yoke is easy and light and he's inviting you into rest he's shown us how he himself on earth took time away to rest so that's the model that we are all looking for yeah he's gentle I just love what you said, Aaron, because I, immediately the scripture that talks about come all you who are thirsty, come buy and eat, come, you know, all these things that Jesus offers to us and he offers us his kindness. And I think as people we want or we see the kindness of Jesus towards those who were the unloved in society and who he chose to surround himself with. And I think in that shows us um, just our own brokenness and our own, the the depth of our sin. And I think that sometimes we don't see it ourselves that way. I don't want to see myself mm-hmm. that way. I see myself as amazing and wonderful. And of course, God is going to use me because how could he not? And <laughs> what a prideful attitude to take um, and to think like, there are so many things in my life that are not going great, or I don't, love how that has worked out, or I don't love how I handle those types of situations. And so I've been thinking a lot about how God extends grace to us this week and 
as I've talked to some friends and just ex- having to extend grace regularly and and using words and how the Lord just says, come to me. Mm-hmm. And there's this restful, kind quality. And I just am grateful that he does that for us because if he didn't, we would probably be like, no, you've got to fix it. You've got to fix this, do this. How dare you be a sinner? How dare you be human? And I think that that's sometimes what we think about when we think about leadership. We think, how dare you be human? Mm -hmm. How dare you have problems and family and you need sleep? What? We don't, Mm -hmm. we don't need you to sleep. We need you to be available all the time. And so Jesus comes and again, back to that rest he wants us to rest in him, knowing that he is completing the work. He started the work, he'll complete it. Um, and how gracious he is to call us to himself and say, hold on, like that Mary Martha, thinking about even those two women and how we are called to work sometimes for the Lord and sometimes we're called to sit at his feet. And so in leadership, we've got to sit at his feet first before we can go and do the work. And And I think sometimes I fail to do the work of sitting before I do the work of working. Yeah. So I'm grateful for Jesus's example of that, of kindness and rest. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned he started the work, he will complete the work. Right. And I think there's absolute and utter assurance and promise in that. And I think underneath as human beings, we mm-hmm. recognize that we can't do the things that we're setting out to do, that we don't have that type of control. We can't say, I will do this and this will happen. And it is absolutely for sure. And there's where it comes all of the pressure then that we put on ourselves and other people, because you can't mess this up. You can't let this go. You have to do because deep down we know we're not in control, but Mm. the Lord has absolute control. And in his control, he can be gentle. Mm. You know, it says in Isaiah, uh, speaking of Jesus, here is my servant whom I uphold, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. And you just see that that assurance that he will rule perfectly. Mm-hmm. He will do what is right, and he will do it in his time. I'm going to throw this question out to y'all, but how does that change how you, you view, even right now in a political season, leadership and all of the things? Obviously, we're not talking one party or another, but just how you view confidence and leadership and what that looks like as we're looking to an elect a new leader. Yeah, I think the greatest confidence that we can have is that this earth is not our kingdom. We pray that God's kingdom come and that the rulers of earth are ones that he's ordained and our confidence is not in them. They are ruling a civil government and that's not who we're looking to for our ultimate rest or hope or salvation, that we look to Jesus who is our perfect and good and kind and gentle king and knowing that he is the one that is ultimately come to rescue us, not the president or the queen or (laughs) any of the world leaders. Yeah. I definitely would say my focus has been on like what Aaron has said. This person has not come to save me. He's not, whoever is elected will not save the known world or the universe or any of those things, but Jesus did. Mm -hmm. And I think that I can have confidence despite what I do or don't like, 
um, politically to know that the Lord is sovereign over the rulers of the land, that he is not making a mistake. I have this um, little card, and I use this in a lot of, this helps me reframe a lot of things, but a card on my mirror that says, I have faith and hope in a God who always does what is right. Mm. And so, and I've used that a lot in my singleness as I've battled through that, but I also apply it here too, like Mm. in leadership decisions, who leads the church, who leads the country, who Mm. leads you know, your work, your place of work and, you know, who leads your home, you know, your husband or your wife and, and how those roles are played out. If we believe in a sovereign God, then I also have to believe that he does what is right in those places and spaces. And I might not like it or I might, but I have to trust that the Lord is, he is not a political party. He is Mm -hmm. the God of the universe and we cannot put him in that box Mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. So... And there's such confidence in that. Yeah. Even in the midst of turmoil and hurt and pain and all those things that come underneath mm-hmm. poor leadership, you think the Lord is protecting us. The Lord mm-hmm. is guarding us. The Lord is leading us forward. And the Lord still uses poor leadership or Absolutely. good leadership. Like Absolutely. he uses both. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like has been something I have had to take in and go, oh, the Lord isn't absent. He might be teaching us something. Or he might be growing us in wisdom. With that note of encouragement, we hope you will join us again next week. Take us on a cool morning walk or let us tag along on your commute. Rachel and Aaron will be joining me again for a discussion on Ecclesiastes 11 and what it means to live a purposeful life. We'd love for you to listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while she sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain.